the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. It's all I want. She's blonde, five foot two. It's all I need, yeah. And one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. This is my America. Taco Tuesday, and welcome to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Glad to have you guys here with me tonight. We are one week away from absolutely, truly historic midterm elections, and we've got a great election night planned for you guys next week, but we're going to keep it focused on today. We're going to stay in the present moment. Isn't that what the kids and all this mindful, mindfulness movement is all about, staying in the present moment, and particularly because there's the left is pushing their agenda 24 hours a day, 365 days a week, every minute of every day, and we've got to be doing that as well, and we've got lots of breaking news and important information to share with you guys because and it will definitely motivate you to get you not just yourself but everybody that you know out to the polls next tuesday and even though it's still i'm seeing debate within the conservative movement as to whether or not you should go ahead and vote early wait until election day i'm still saying that the thing to do is to show up on election day bring your mail-in ballot in tell them i'm not going to vote via mail-in ballot here it is if somebody has come in and if they if you go in to vote and they tell you you've already voted via mail-in ballot, oh, no, I have not. You get rid of that. You don't use that. I am here to vote. And you must prove to me that I'm the one who voted. See, this is why we need voter ID. OK, um, in fact, uh, that what happened uh, last year on on uh, uh, during not last year during the primaries, um, I went in. I didn't have my mail-in ballot with me. And um, they said, well, what happened to your mail-in ballot? I said, well, I didn't fill that out and turn it in. If anybody did, it needs to be tossed out. I'm here to vote. And you see that I'm here in person. Okay. So that's where I stand on the elections. Uh, who is ultimately trying to control the outcome of the elections? Is it the candidates? Is it the parties? Is it the people running the elections? It might be. Somebody that you would never, ever expect. And we're going to share that story with you thanks to a guy named Lee Fang, who broke an amazing story yesterday on The Intercept. Uh, Interesting cases being heard before the Supreme Court yesterday. And we're going to talk about that. It has to do with affirmative action. It's shocking to me. That in this uh, day and age, all the, you know, uh, we're supposed to be so progressive, right? Well, why do we still have institutionalized discrimination in this country, particularly when it involves college admissions? We've got a, a, a guest, Kenny Zhu, I believe is that how you pronounce his name. He's going to be here. He fights for uh, meritocracy. He, fight, he fights 
on behalf of Asian Americans, and and he's going to be here to share his thoughts on why these cases that SCOTUS is hearing is so important. Those topics and more. Before I go any further, I got to bring in my brother. He's back. He took yesterday off. And he is back with me. I didn't want to accept it yesterday. I was texting him like to try to do show prep with him. And he was like, look, look, child, I told you I was taking the night off. And I said, my head can't wrap around any absence of yours. And I'm glad to have him back with me tonight. It's DJ Potato Skins. Oh, spooky season is coming up. What scares you the most? Thousand kids coming to my door breathing on me. <laughs> and did you have a thousand kids? I found that kids? little treat and uh, yeah. thought I'd like to share that with the audience. Uh, did you have a thousand kids showing up at your door trick or treating? Oh, uh, no, I, I was out with uh, with my wife's kids and my own kids, and we did we were out trick or treating. So, no. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't go out trick or treating. I did not have one kid come to my door, and I didn't see any in the neighborhood. Uh, maybe I'm maybe my yeah, neighborhood. We always do it over my brother's neck of the woods, yeah. and it's always popping over there. I don't know. It could be that my hood in La Jolla is too low rent, and uh, the kids all got on a bus and went to someplace else where they thought there might be better goods. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. But anyway, uh, glad to have you back, my man. Always Good to be here. Yeah, always glad to have you guys. And uh, 888-344-1170, 1170 is the call in, uh, the call in number for tonight. Email us at andreacasio.com, andreacasio.com. Going to be, I've got a, we've got a pop culture question for you guys a little bit later. But before I open up the phones, I got to tell you guys about a story. I saw it breaking yesterday and I didn't have time. I mentioned it on last night's show. I didn't have time to, to really delve into it. Before the show, that's Skins' fault because he wasn't here to help me prep. <laughs> Just teasing. But I mentioned it on last night's show, and I said I was going to tell you guys about it tonight, and it has to do with the deep state. And I don't know if you guys heard this heard this story. It's an article, and it's a very in-depth article. I've got it printed out here. It's about, I don't know how many, about uh, almost 30 pages uh, long that I printed out. I'm not going to have time to get it, it, into every detail on it. I'm going to post it on my socials. I encourage you to read it. It's The article is by Lee Fang. It's at The Intercept. And it's called, the title is Truth Cops. Leaked documents outline DHS's plan to police disinformation. Let me remind you guys first, who is DHS? Here's where I'm going to act like I'm a school teacher. Who remembers? Show of hands. Who remembers DHS and why they were founded as a department? The Department of Homeland Security. (sighs) I'm old enough to remember when George W. Bush, Mr. Run Like a Conservative and Govern Like a Democrat, blew up government bigger than Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, I said it. Blew it up, right? What happens when government grows? Tyranny grows, right? Department of Homeland Security was supposed to be founded under the idea that we needed 9-11 happened because we didn't have all the different agencies talking to talking to each other. Right. We communication. Yeah. Lack of communication. Let's start the Department of Homeland Security and put everybody under that roof umbrella. And in fact, not only are we going to put everybody under DHS, but we're actually going to even create agencies like the TSA. Which can't stop anybody from bringing anything onto an airplane, whether it's whether it's a Swiss Army knife, whether it's a mace, whatever it is, right? In fact, this Department of Homeland Security has been nothing but a hashtag fail. Although, when was the last time they actually tried to do anything related to their the, the its founding? It was founded under the idea 
that we needed them to uh, to be the agency department or department Department of Homeland Security. It was supposed to be to solve and be the agent the department behind uh, all the efforts in the war on terror. Can you name one terrorist attack that they solved and prevented? I can't think of one. The FBI, that was supposed to be a part of the at least in communication with Department of Homeland Security, didn't stop the Sarnai brothers. We had the Fort Hood attack. Major Nadal Hassan had Warrior for Allah on his business card. Department of Homeland Security was a hashtag fail when it came to the war on terror. Did it stop the Pulse nightclub? Did they stop? The Christmas party massacre in San Bernardino, they didn't stop one Islamic terrorist attack that I can think of. So if they were not going to, and and then, you know, um, everybody, including Republicans and and, and, uh, conservatives, in my opinion, everybody has said this war on terror is over. Well, what happens when, when government grows? Has there ever been a department or an agency that the U.S. government shut down because they were no longer needed or shut down because they were a hashtag fail? No. (laughs) No. Right. It didn't matter whether or not they were a fail compared to what they were designed to do. We'll just continue to grow it because ultimately every department in the United States of America now, including our Department of Defense, has become weaponized against the people. The war on terror is now the war against Americans. Our counterterrorism unit within the Department of Justice is about American citizens. And how do they define it? Domestic violence extremists are anybody that questions an outcome of an election. Anybody who thinks government has grown too big. Right. Anyone who dares to speak out against the government. That's literally how the how the Department of Justice counterterrorism unit defines domestic violence extremists. And an order to continue to lie and say that the greatest threat to this country is the D- the DVEs. They've got uh, FBI offices all around this country cooking the books to pretend that that's a greater threat to the U.S. So the Department of Homeland Security that was supposed to be about the war on terror is now the number one department that's going after the American people and waging the war against the American people specifically in terms of the First Amendment. The FBI, in its war against the American people and the Department of Justice, have their own efforts within it. Uh, the FBI has its efforts in terms of um, targeting individuals, the, uh, the raids that we see going on. The Department of Justice is, is uh, um, using the FBI. It's about persecuting and prosecuting the American people. Department of Homeland Security has a subset underneath of it. That is called the counter insurgent, the the cybersecurity and infrastructure infrastructure security agency. The cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency is a sub agency underneath Department of Homeland Security, and it was tasks tasked with protecting critical national infrastructure. That's how it was sold to Donald Trump in 2018. By then head of the DHS, Kirsten, um, whatever her name was, Kirsten Nielsen or whatever her name was. Well, of course, that's not really what it was about. It wasn't about or even if it was sold that way to Donald Trump, even if what the intention was of this cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency about protecting our critical infrastructure, you think in infrastructure and you think our power grid, right? 
You think our internet services. You think of all of our data protection services. And maybe this was legitimately what this subset of the DHS was supposed to be about. But of course, it quickly morphed. That was signed into law in 2018-ish. And of course, it quickly morphed into the infrastructure being protected is now declared as our cognitive infrastructure that needs to be protected. And in the course of protecting our cognitive, the cognitive infrastructure of America, they've got to control the flow of information. And what this article reveals before we take a break is that in the course of protecting the cognitive infrastructure of America, they have been partnering with Facebook, Twitter and beyond in order to control the information we're allowed to see and share among other Americans. Why does this matter? Well, we're going to tell you why it matters and why you should be horrified by it when we come back from the break. This is the Andrea K. Show on AM 1170, The Answer, San Diego, FM 96.1 North County, and streaming all over the world. News, politics, and current events. It's the Andrea K. Show on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. Before the break, I was talking about the story that should be absolutely shocking to people. It is not. People are not shocked about the reports coming out that the Department of Homeland Security is now policing our speech through corporations. That is the very definition of fascism as uh, Mussolini described. It's, it's the government controlling the people through businesses and business enterprise although that's really what was going on with covid wasn't it skins they could control the people by telling you you couldn't you couldn't even you can't open your business or controlling people by saying you can go into a business but the this you know uh tables in a restaurant had to be six feet apart this is ultimately about what and what dhs did was uh this they um the the deep state the cockroaches that operate to destroy this nation operate in the dark. You know how cockroaches work, right? We have cockroaches in the South, not out here. You see one and you know there's 200 in the walls, right? That's what's going on. The governance board that they tried to put out, remember that? That happened last spring in 2022 when the American people found out that the DHS and Mayorkas was coming up with a governance board. The American people were upset about it. The Democrats weren't like, oh, well, okay, well, we're not going to do this because the American people are rightfully upset about the loss of their First Amendment freedoms. No, they just go underground. And that's what's going on with the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, working with Facebook and Twitter and the mainstream media set up what they did was they actually set up portals to not only coordinate with these social media sites on what you were allowed to say, what you were allowed to read, but they set up a system that would make it more quick between how they could communicate in order to shut down information. And they've, and they've defined different types of information. There's malinformation, misinformation, disinformation, all different varieties of kind of information you're not allowed to know, you're not allowed to read, and you're not allowed to communicate. Welcome to the USSA. United Soviet Socialist America. Putin would be proud. They love to run around talking about who's a a puppet for Putin. Who's a puppet for Putin? What is this? State controlled information? I don't know. I can't decide. Is this more Soviet Russia or or is this more North Korea? 
Or is it Castro's Cuba? Everything that's been going on, whether it was the crossfire hurricane in 2016, whether it was the Russian collusion hoax and the Bob Mueller investigation, whether it was the Ukrainian whistleblower impeachment, whether it's Jan 6, whether it's now the Department of Homeland Security, we find out. And the portal was still up as of two days ago. They're still doing this. It's all about one thing, ultimately controlling who wins the elections in this country. In this case, what they're doing here, the other FBI and DOJ is about coup attempts. It's about persecuting and using the court system to prosecute people. And here it's about control the message. You control minds, control minds. You can control the outcome of elections. Not seeing it on the monitors anywhere, Skins. Hardly anybody is talking about this today. This should be the number one story everywhere. That the United States government is waging war against the American people through, through our minds, and they're justifying it by calling it uh, uh, um, protecting our cognitive infrastructure system. One of the emails said this. This was from uh, Microsoft executive uh, Matt Masterson, a former DHS official, texted Jen Easterling, uh, a DHS director in February, quote, platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. Platforms have got to get comfortable with government. This is supposed to be the United States of America. We're not supposed to be comfortable with government controlling every aspect of our business, our lives. And because. But how comfortable did Americans get? Didn't they get conditioned during covid? A lot of people did, unfortunately. At one point, there's an email that reveals that what they were trying, what they planned to do was actually in order to cover for it. They actually wanted to set up kind of like a money laundering situation, you know, where you take dirty money and you put it in this in, in, this institution over here. And then by the time the money then gets deposited someplace else, it's clean. Right. There's actually emails that show that they actually wanted to use third party nonprofits as an intermediary to try to cover up that it was the U.S. government. Controlling the flow of information. And you might be thinking, well, um, of course, Andrea, you know, this was for your own good. This was to stop all this COVID misinformation and the information that you crackpots are putting out there about the shots. But get this, Skins. What are they what are they wanting to control the flow of information on? Everything from not just shots, not just COVID. Anything related to questioning the U.S. government's role in the war in Ukraine. The pullout from Afghanistan that was a complete disaster. Anything that goes against their narrative. They even want any any information, any flow of information that involves questioning our courts. Any information that involves questioning our financial institutions. What are we left to communicate about and to question? I guess the only thing we're going to be allowed to do is post cat vids. This is insane. And it started actually... During a Republican president, the DHS did. And then it grew under Trump. All presented under the idea that this is about protecting us from foreign, because, and, and this particular cybersecurity infrastructure um, agency situation was presented as though after 2016, the Russians attempted to collude and uh, attempted to interfere in our election. And that's how they got Trump to sign off on this cybersecurity infrastructure crap. 
this the DHS needs to be dismantled. Case in point, Mayorkas, the guy behind this, DHS, what else falls under DHS? The border and the border patrol. Anybody think that's a success? Anybody think the TSA is a success? There's no use for this department. It needs to be disbanded. Congressman Dan Bishop, who I've never heard of before, out of North Carolina, he tweeted out today that he plans to, uh, to uh, uh, he pledges legislation that's going to impose criminal pen- penalties against any government official involved in denying their Americans, uh, American citizens their First Amendment rights. That's what has to happen. There must be perp walks. People must be prosecuted for this kind of crap. We need every one of these freaking cockroaches to be brought out into the daylight and squashed and stepped on. That's what needs to happen. And I don't want to hear from anybody running for president in 2024 that isn't pledging to me which entire departments they're going to get rid of. Entire departments. I want Department of Homeland Security gone. I want Department of Education gone. I want the EPA gone. What do we even have any of these departments for? They're not doing with their role. Their role was supposed to be about protecting us, and we know what it's always about. It's about protecting the institutions. It's about, that's why they, you're not allowed to question the courts. You're not allowed to question the financial institutions. Why? Because they've been corrupted against the citizens. Everything that they're not wanting you to be allowed to pass information on is the very institutions you, we must be questioning. We must be passing the truth on uh, and, and providing transparency on. I'm out of my mind. I'm so angry over this. Remember this when you go to vote. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. Speaking of the courts, a lot of people talking about yesterday's affirmative action uh, hearings in, in the Supreme Court. And joining us next is a young man who's been fighting for a while. These cases have to do with discrimination against the Asian American community. And joining us next is Kenny Zhu. He's the author of the new book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. He is also president of Colorus United, which advocates for a colorblind society. Stay tuned. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. Y'all know that usually I talk about the education situation, including college crazies, the indoctrinations going on that's happening in every area of our educations with Bob Walters uh, on Fridays. Um, but I, I had to talk about this case that was before the Supreme Court yesterday because it's got far-reaching implications. It's about affirmative action. I think it's got far-reaching implications to us even beyond schools. And so that's why I'm pleased to bring on tonight Kenny Zhu. He's the author of the book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. He is the president of Colorist united which advocates for a colorblind society and he has been watching the case uh, one of the cases that's before the supremes uh, which is the students for fair admission versus harvard case and he's here to share with you guys everything you need to know about uh, the cases that were uh, that are being heard by the supreme court and the implications for us as a nation hi kenny welcome to the andrea k show yeah, thanks so much for having me. Well, hopefully I, I pronounced your last name right. Is it Zoo or Zhu or Zhu? Oh, it's Shoe, like a shoe box. 
Well, thank yeah. you. Thank you for being here. Um, appreciate it. So um, a lot of people were talking yesterday about these cases. My understanding is there's the case versus Harvard. There's also a case against North Carolina. I'm not sure the differences between these two, um, you know, educational institutions. But it seems to me as though in general, and you can share with us everything that we need to know about these particular cases, but it seems as though in general, I mean, it seems like a simple question, Kenny. Are we going to continue to have institutionalized discrimination by colleges and universities when it comes to admissions, or is it going to be based on merit? Am I oversimplifying what's going on here? Well, you should know my position. It should be based on merit. Um, you know, the Harvard case against Asian Americans, and you know, they're also suing UNC Chapel Hill, by the way, uh, but basically it's pitting together these twin ideals that Americans have understood, which is diversity and meritocracy. Now, Americans, we live in a very diverse country in the entire world. America is the most diverse country in the entire world. Um, But some people have decided that because it's the most diverse country in the entire world, it needs to be diverse in every single place, in every institution in America. And that's Harvard's position. Harvard says we need diversity uh, we need 15% specifically, we need 15% black people. We need, uh, you know, 15% Hispanics in the university. Here's the problem with that. What percentage of Asians is in America? 6%. And Asians make up about 23, 20% of uh, Harvard right now. But if they weren't discriminated against, they would make up even more. Because as we know, Asians tend to study harder and they're outlier populations academically. But Harvard is arguing we need to curb and we need to lower the percentage of Asians so we can meet the requisite percentage of blacks and Hispanics at the college. And I don't think that that's right. I think that that is disobeying the principles of meritocracy that we as Americans hold dear. Well, I agree, because when you think about and and you grow up in this country, as I did, I mean, now people don't have the same affinity for some of these Ivy League schools, given the curriculums and what they're teaching. Um, but the idea of of getting admitted in one of these schools was always that it meant that you were a superstar academically first and foremost, and then on top of that, you might have some other extracurricular showing that personally you're just an amazing person. Like maybe you were a candy striper, maybe you did like uh, I don't know how many mission trips, did all this volunteer work, but it was all about getting in based upon merit. It wasn't based upon things as shallow and as and is unimportant. No offense to anybody, as to your appearance. It was supposed to be on the base, basis of merit. And if we don't have merit when it comes to getting into uh, an Ivy League school, I mean, where are we going to have it in society, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think we're losing sight of this as a country. You know, we have critical race theory that teaches that merit is racist, um, that trying that, you know, that SATs and tests discriminate, discriminate against black people. So and then we have this progressive obsession with diversity where they're saying where, where the Ivy League um, administrators are looking out, of, looking out of their windows and they're basically saying, wow, there are too many Asians at Harvard. We need to get rid of them. You know? And that's basically what they're saying. Now, they're yeah. couch it in all kinds of flowery language, but we know what their intention of this word diversity is. Their intention of the word diversity is to defend their discrimination against Asians. All right? Plain and 
simple. Mm-hmm. And this has to end because discrimination in either direction is wrong. And it also sets a bad precedent to our high schoolers who are now told on their college applications, be less Asian, be less white. Mm-hmm. Don't mark the checkbox that you that corresponds to your race because you might get penalized for it. What kind of precedent does that send for our children? Well, it well, it sends the message, well, it's co- completely contradictory to what this country was founded on. This country was not founded on entitlements. This country wasn't founded on anybody owing you anything. It was founded on on the principle of you were equal opportunity and you if you were willing to work hard enough and to achieve it depending on your own personal skill level because everybody's got their own abilities, their own their own academic abilities, their own physical abilities, sports and athletic abilities. We vary by the individual, but really ultimately it was about Hard work, individual responsibility, hard work and ambition, not about anybody giving you something. And under the phony guise of, um, you know, even if you believe that the intent at one point of affirmative action was good, that we had to give a leg up to African-Americans based upon what happened in slavery. That was how long ago? And, 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 and now it's not about that. It's about everything that you just said. And it, and it spits in the face of communities like the average Asian-American community, that came, many of which who came here from Vietnam or for, for wherever with pennies in their pockets and worked hard, head down, legs grinding, not turning themselves into a victim class, but seizing the opportunity of being here in America. And now they're being denied the, the rewards for that effort because they, it's being given away to somebody that didn't work hard for it. And I think that's outrageous. Ultimately, I think that it's, it's not even really about diversity. I think it is about changing the culture of America off the backs of of certain kids and there's no value to diversity and at all and nobody can ever explain what the value of diversity is kenny what is the value of 15 percent black students no i agree with you there's no inherent value in it i'm serious and there's no there's no inherent value in having 15 percent asians and there's no inherent value in having 15 percent whites what's valuable is your meritorious characteristics is the content of your character Are you an achievement-oriented person? Are you built to confront excellence? When you face trial, are you willing and are you able to swallow it and you are able to move ahead? Those are the things that we should be measuring Mm -hmm. in a college admissions or job process or anything like that. That's what's meritorious. Your race has no impact on any of those things unless you want to start saying racist things like, Asian people have lower personalities because they're Asian and they have to be test-taking robots with no personality, which is what Harvard is arguing in front of the Supreme Court right now. They are arguing that Asians deserve their low personality scores if they wow. give Asian American applicants. And it's very sad. It's very sad how I watch these arguments that have been going on yesterday and they sound so regressive that it feels like we're turning back our country 50 years. Well, we are, and I'm glad you said regressive, because there's nothing progressive about the the leftist agenda. There's nothing progressive about segregation. There's nothing progressive about discrimination, and the fact that it might change who's being discriminated against, it's abhorrent, absolutely abhorrent. And the message that it sends to kids is that you don't have to work hard. And and that's another sideline benefit. We're talking to Kenny Hsu. He is author of the book, An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Um, They don't want... You know, um, any kid who's going to have earned their way into Harvard through hard work 
and excellence is somebody that typically is then going to go and take that into their their adulthood and their career and achieve likewise in their career. That doesn't really benefit the Democrats, right? The Democrats need a bunch of people coming out with degrees in um, hair weaving, right, um, as it relates to gender studies, um, because those are the people going to come out with $200,000 in student loan debt they can't pay off because they can't get a job. So I think a sideline benefit for them with this plan, too, is that graduates uh, that are coming out that have just been steeped into Marxism, they're not there to get to get a skill and an education that they can use for a career. That's how I see it. Do you see that aspect as well? Yeah, it's part of the larger decline of the American university. You know, um, just 20 years ago, we had bipartisan support for our higher education system, both like 65 and six, 65% of Democrats and 65% of Republicans thought that higher education is a positive thing. You look at the polls today, Democrats are lower. Republicans are way lower. It's like 25% of Republicans think that higher education is net positive for our country. And the reason is because we're clearly seeing higher the purpose of higher education unraveling in our eyes. It's no longer about supporting and pursuing excellence. It is now about catering to identity politics, critical race theory, and ideologies that make people more narcissistic and self-victimy than they've ever been in this country before. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that's also um, a, a sideline negative from this and, and negative implication going forward and a deep one. It fosters a sense of entitlement. Somebody feeling like because of, of an exterior appearance, which, by the way, define black, right? I mean, I see all these ads all the time, Kenny. Where, you know, it's like um, Ancestry.com and they're showing somebody who looks, I have no idea, freckle, whatever. I'm 5% this. I'm 11% this. I mean, it's like, how do you even how do you even qualify for these diversity? You know, is it just checking a box? I mean, it's ridiculous. But the mindset that it continues to foster in the minds of some people is that because of some ancestor situation or because of some exterior appearance, you're entitled to something, even if it takes something away from somebody who worked hard and earned it. And I find that particularly repugnant. Um, you, I haven't had a chance to, to pay attention. I know that Alito raised um, some eyebrows when he used an example of somebody identifying as an American Indian because they had an ancestor or, or the family lore was that there was an ancestor. I thought that was an interesting exchange. When you think about the arguments that you've been paying that you, that you've heard uh, uh, on this case, does your gut t- do, what stands out and what does your gut tell you that this court how they might rule in these in these cases? What stands out to me. And by the way, for your listeners, I authored the book, An Inconvenient Minority, which is a deep dive into the Harvard case. I published this last year, and I'm just hearing these arguments that are being repeated that I found in my book from last year, because that's what, that's what we're debating. But they had it. Clarence Thomas said something. He said, Harvard rattled on about diversity, this and diversity, that, and why we need to have a diverse student body. And diversity helps. Um, he said something like, Diversity helps black people um, have, you know, feel more confident in their education because black people need to be around other black people to feel confident in their education. Clarence Thomas just looked at this guy and he said, well, I'm a little, I'm skeptical about your whole idea of diversity. Why do you think, you know, that black people need other black people to have a good education? And I think that that's, that's, He's getting at the heart of something mm-hmm. right there. It, this is this is black 
fragility that they are preaching mm-hmm. at Harvard. They are assuming that black people are such victims that they need other people of their own color and affinity groups and all kinds of inclusion in order to succeed. That is not the case. We know black Americans are as strong as any other person in America. Mm-hmm. And if any other group in America who's faced adversity can get through it, so can black Americans. Yeah, you know, Clarence Thomas, no wonder they want to remove him from the court because he is just not he is not the African-American that they want him to be. He doesn't tout their line and their narrative. Right. And so um, it'll be interesting. I I, I would like to think that in in United States of America today, that once and for all, we would end the systemic racism that's involved in our college admissions. I do recognize that there is a subjective element. Not everybody's going to get in. Um, but we should never be, it should not be based on any criteria, a certain set of numbers. Well, let me flip it back to you. How should the admissions go? There has to be a subjective element, right? Yeah, but I think Americans, we've already, we already recognize where we can put the subjective element, right? Um, admission should be based on your meritorious characteristics. So your grades, your SAT scores, um, I think ex- extracurriculars should be less of a factor, but, you know, you can put some extracurriculars in there. The personal essay is really important. Yeah. The problem with the personal essay is that people cheat on it. They hire tutors, they hire their parents to write on it. So, okay, get people in a room, ask people to write an essay on a topic for 30 minutes. They're, you know, figure out ways to solve the corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, try to tell, you know, but really, like, you know, we, we, have, to, we have to evaluate people on relevant characteristics right. to their ability to succeed in college. And the last time I checked, and any other time I've checked, your race has nothing to do with your merit. Your race has nothing to do with how intelligent you are. And you should be treated as an individual. And if, right, and and if, you know, MOK had any, if his speech had any merit, um, we're supposed to be a colorblind society. And all affirmative action does and all this nonsense does is continue to foster a division, foster racial racial issues and, and, and racial divide in this country and resentment. And, and what we should be well past it at this point. But the but the um, uh, those with an agenda, the, you know, the, this continues to get pushed because it's it's for power. Right. The people that want this have a, a power agenda behind it. It's not for the good of the country. It's not for the good of any of the students. And it's despicable. And it's time that we uh, that we push back and we demand a colorblind society. And I hope that the Supreme Court will do the right thing and um, and get rid of affirmative action. Tell everybody where they can read your book, Kenny. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to find out more about how Asians inconvenience the left's narrative of race in America and how they, they've so inconvenienced the narrative of their success that the left discriminates against them in higher education, uh, read my book, An Inconvenient Minority. Buy it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Indie Bounds, wherever books are sold. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Now, y'all stay tuned. we got more Andrea K. Show coming up on the other side of the break. This is the Andrea K. Show on AM 1170, The Answer, San Diego, FM 96.1, North County, and streaming all over the world. AK, Dynamite and Address, or just Andrea K. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea K Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K Show. 
Nobody likes getting stuck in the middle seat on a plane, right? I have all kinds of tips and and, and techniques on uh, when I fly Southwest in order to try if it's not going to be a completely full flight. And I'm on the, I always sit aisle seat to try to keep somebody from taking the middle seat. Right. I have all kinds of ways to avoid eye contact, keep anybody from taking it. People, because when somebody's coming to get on the plane, they see a small person like me on the aisle. They think that's the middle seat that I want. Right. Nobody likes the middle seat. Um, but, you know, what I, what I, I don't like is the fact that now, evidently, the middle seat has become like, you know, today's, you know, vic- the number one victim class. Joe Biden was talking last week about how the middle class is discriminatory. It's racist. Now we got a food uh, chain company that's offering to give free food away to somebody stuck in the middle seat. How is that? I, I don't I don't get it. I say if you're going to give free food away, give it to somebody smart enough to make sure they didn't get in the middle seat. Why would you be rewarded for being dumb enough to be stuck in the middle seat for some reason? Subway, case in point. Y'all tell I, I, I don't know. Am I being overly cranky about this? 888-344-1170. Subway says that they're going to offer a consolation prize for those people stuck um, in the middle seat. Although eating Subway, you know, maybe maybe worse than the middle seat. I don't know. Air tra- travelers stuck in the middle seat on November 3rd, which is just two days from now, National Sandwich Day, will get a free sandwich of their own. Just upload a photo of yourself in the, quote, sandwich seat before 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time on November 4. There will be 10,000 winners who will snag an electronic gift card to use at any restaurant across the U.S. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this, Skins? Uh, had they made it Jersey Mike's, I might be buying my <laughs> middle seat airline ticket right now. <laughs> For Subway, no. Yeah, no. Not it, 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 the best Subway sandwich. Is a, sandwich. The best Subway sandwich is it worth sitting in the middle seat? No, absolutely, absolutely not. But I still don't like the idea of now. I mean, how did this become a thing? That the middle seat now is suddenly like, you know, the worst thing that can happen to a person. And you're now uh, you're now a, a, an inferior class of human beings who deserve to have something given to you. And like you were, and I were saying the other night, book your flights and your seats earlier. Yeah. And then if not, then it's like, you know, OK, well, there you're stuck in the middle seat. Life is hard sometimes. That's just the way, and that's a part of the issue too, is that nobody's supposed to ever have, you know, a bad day. Nobody's supposed to, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, suffer a little bit. Get back to me when you've flown for 10 hours with one kid kicking the back of your seat the entire time. No matter what seat you're in. No matter what seat you're in. So I deserved a... Chateau Briand for that experience. All right, stay tuned with us. We got hour two on its way. Gary Quackenbush, Quacking the Whack, for his weekly seg- segment. We'll be here, and you better be too. Don't go away. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.